stop the whole world. And when the world stops, people pay attention. And when people are paying attention, there's an opportunity for change. Like, I truly believe that, you know, the reaction to George Floyd, a lot of the climate stuff that's been happening, I don't think it would have got the same attention if we weren't in a pandemic. Hello and welcome to the Together podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined by Emma and Chris. How are you doing today, guys? Great. It is stunningly sunny outside, so I'm good. It is pretty sunny. It's not It's it not is. that warm yet, but it's getting there ever, ever so slowly. Ready for the roadmap. Let's go. Yes. Yeah, come on. A few weeks left till the 29th of March. Get that garden furniture, renovate your gardens get out to the uh, to the parks exactly. yeah i have actually been looking on gardeners world and they have a monthly calendar for the jobs that you should do in your garden <laughs> per month um so just in case anyone wants to know this is the perfect month for deadheading roses <laughs> and um, doing some gentle weed work it sounds like we've got like a new audience demographic <laughs> shooting a lot older than we used to <laughs> is that what you're doing this month is it emma uh, yep, definitely. All those roses in your garden. I've seen your garden. Yeah, I don't have any roses. <laughs> Sad. Great. Well, in this episode, we'll be hearing from rapper, author and broadcaster Governor B. He spoke to Chris about his new book, Unspoken, Toxic Masculinity and How I Face the Man Within the Man. He shared some real jewels of wisdom with us. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But first up, we have Emma's Dilemmas. Woo! So... <laughs> The dilemma this week is, if you are married to rapper, author, broadcaster, Governor B, (laughs) and you're featured on a podcast talking about him, do you say that you are married or not? (laughs) I love how uh, out there and abstract these dilemmas are. They're always just so crazy, aren't they? Personally, I think it would just be clout chasing. Yeah, same. Yeah, just name dropping. Name dropping your own husband. (laughs) Okay, well, in that case, I've got another dilemma for you. Would you rather know how above or below average you are at everything or know how above or below average anyone else is by looking at them? So (laughs) that's like quite good if you want to size up someone for a fight. It's just like, it's almost like you get a little like HP while come up, up there against their head. Yeah. But I don't, but I would, I think I would like to know where I stand in many different areas. Like okay. sports, for example, should I pursue, should I pursue a late career in basketball or football or is it, am I just not good enough? These are questions I ask myself every night. <laughs> and so having, <laughs> having the power to see how average I am would be great. Am I self-aware enough to to be able to say that I know that already? Like, <laughs> I've seen I've seen me play basketball. I've seen me play football. Like, I can I can say you know I'm extremely above average at both. So I know. <laughs> Hence, why you don't play because it just wouldn't be fair for others. <laughs> yeah, it's actually everyone else's opinion who's wrong. Um, but I have a good understanding of how how I fall. Like, humility above average. <laughs> Meekness above average. 
ego below average <laughs> all of these things i just have a good steer on myself so maybe maybe i'd choose the other one so that i could uh i could work out yeah who i could beat at an arm wrestle mm, that's a good shout so you would go for seeing what they are yeah i think so okay so just bear in mind though that you don't know what you are but they will know what you are Oh, so this is everybody. <laughs> yeah, so like you, so you can't really be that confident because you could be like, oh, you're below average at that. But then they're looking at you like, yeah, you're below average too. <laughs> when you actually think you're, you're way better. <laughs> what is this question? <laughs> <laughs> it's a real dilemma. Yeah, I think I'd still go for other people just, yeah. And then I'd just, yeah, they they might be able to see if I'm bad at something, but maybe I could just trick them. <laughs> okay, love it. Well, thanks for your answers, guys. I appreciate it. I think I'm going to side with Chris on this one, and I'm going to say Oof. I would like to know how above or below average I am because I think sometimes in life there's just it's not worth putting effort into it if you're never really <laughs> going to be good at it, you know? Like, <laughs> if I'm rubbish at cooking and I know that I'm going to remain rubbish i'll just get takeaways you know or like let someone whose strength it is take over you know so well this is the problem though who's to say that you will always be bad just Mm, because in the moment you're not where you want to be doesn't mean you're not going to get there. come on that's what we do on this podcast come on this is it yeah come on that's it thank you okay (laughs) don't give up on your dream yeah chris you can be a a professional basketball player you can make the nba I believe it. Me too. And I can be Just a chef. Just because you're not there yet. <laughs> Just because I'm under six foot. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. Great. Well, thank you, Emma, for this week's dilemma. If you're listening at home, what would you rather do? Would you rather know whether you're above average or below average? Would you rather know if other people are? Let us know. Head to at We Are Tier Fund. And if you have a better dilemma than that, which is highly likely, then send us a message. That's actually out of order. (laughs) But next up, it's time for What in the World? Welcome to What in the World, where we discuss the latest in news and current affairs. Emma, what are we looking at today? A couple of weeks ago, the UN criticised the UK government for slashing their aid budget to Yemen. So instead of the £214 million that we gave in 2020, this year, only £87 million has been promised. This is obviously a huge difference, and the UN have warned that if they don't meet their $3.85 billion target for 2021, then millions of people in Yemen could face starvation. So what are your thoughts on this, guys? Yeah, so for those unaware about what's going on in Yemen or what's been going on there for a while, there's been a huge conflict that can kind of be traced back to this political transitionary period back in 2011. So essentially they had a president who a lot of people didn't like um, and there was a lot of uprisings against him. And so they managed to get him out. But unfortunately, while that was supposed to bring about a period of stability, it's actually led to more instability and different groups have been kind of fighting and vying for power. So you have like military groups, presidential groups, civil people groups and stuff like that. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. And there's been a civil war essentially since about 2015. And actually, when we look at what's happened since then, over 90,000 people in Yemen have been killed. 
and a further 11,000 have been injured as well. So this has put Yemen in a state of humanitarian crisis with over 24 million people in need of urgent aid, such as water, food and safety. Um, so yeah, there's a huge threat of obviously conflict, there's a huge threat of famine, and a huge threat of disease as well. So it's a pretty bleak situation there. So going back to your question, Emma, for the government to kind of like scale back their aid by that much, like it's over half it, it's crazy. It's almost just like, it's almost a slap in the face of just like, well, we don't care. That's what, that's how I read it. That's how it comes across to me. I think for me, it's, it's the, the precedent of it. And also the kind of rise of this mentality of we're in, we're in trouble because of COVID and the, the economy, economy and how it's impacted people in this country. Therefore we should stop giving money abroad. And when you see the, the actual split, the actual figures in terms of percentages, you know, the difference um, of what we give abroad, if if we took, well, which we are doing, if we reduce that, it's not going to have a huge impact on the economy here. Like we're talking, we're talking like one or 2% difference of total, you know, the total budget that we, that we have to spend. So it's, it's concerning to me that the narrative of, well, we need it more than uh, people outside of this country will continue to grow just in the face of the issues that we're that we see coming out of covid yeah definitely and i think like often um things around refugee crises they appear in the media in waves and people think like oh this refugee crisis has come out of nowhere um but this is just another reminder that they don't come out of nowhere and often countries like the UK and the US play a huge part in instigating conflict and washing their hands of it and it does lead to things like refugee crises yeah it's mad because even just a few weeks ago Basically, the US suspended their sales to their arms sales to Saudi Arabia because a lot of those weapons are being used in the conflict in Yemen, and the UK like just declined to follow that as well. So it's just like, well, there's obviously like huge issues going on. Not only are we not helping as much as we could, we're probably actually adding to the problem by allowing these arms sales to continue. So yeah, it's really disappointing, and I just think it's an opportunity for us to kind of live up to live up to the idea of being, you know, a country that does look out for other countries and, and is actually cares about justice, cares about following that thread. Even from a Christian perspective, it makes me think of that Bible verse where it says the world of the generous gets larger and larger. And actually from that perspective, when you look at this issue as a Christian, it doesn't sit well. That mm. is like what Dan said, we're in a crisis of our own and it's a much smaller scale than what is happening in Yemen. But it makes us as a country selfish. And mm. actually, that isn't the way that God designed for us to be. We're meant to be generous, no matter the situation that we're in. Um, so, yeah, this definitely feels like it doesn't sit right from a biblical perspective. I think there are a couple of things we can do as as individuals. You know, we feel a bit powerless sometimes. But the first thing is pray about it. You know, ask God to move powerfully in the situation in Yemen, but also amongst governments around the world not just our own to to support Yemen in a in a good way but then also contact your MP you do do some research on Yemen what the situation there contact your MP and ask the government to reconsider their approach in this way and then finally you know we don't 
do many asks for Tier Fund's work, but Tier Fund has a team in Yemen, works with local partners who are helping distribute food and water and other urgent supplies. And so if you are finding that you have some money and you want to, to give towards that cause, then just Google Tier Fund Yemen and you'll be taken to, to the campaign page there where you can either give one off or, or regularly to support Tier Fund's work in helping families over there get the urgent supplies that they that they need that they don't have access to at all so those are three things that are are really important and then also a bonus one is just spread spread the news because you know similar to what we were saying before there's so there's so much emphasis on covid there's so much emphasis on other issues and it doesn't make those issues any less important but it means that sometimes um, situations like Yemen are kept out of the media and, and we don't see them as, as much. So um, let's be making a noise uh, about this and, and seeing what we can do personally and encouraging other people to, to do the same. Great. Thanks for your thoughts, guys. Now it's time to hear Chris's conversation with Governor B. I'm Governor B. I'm a rapper, predominantly uh, an author and a broadcaster. And yeah, man, just put out positive messages aimed at young people, inspired by my faith. Awesome. Well, welcome back. Uh, I think literally, I think we had you on the podcast almost two years ago now, I think. Yeah, it's been a while, man. Um, it's yeah. been a while. The world's very different. <laughs> Trust me, man. <laughs> to Trust say me. the least. <laughs> it, was at, um, it was at a show, innit? I ain't had a show since March 2020. So, yeah, it's been a long time. It's mad. That is mad. But I remember last time we spoke, you actually did mention you were writing a book or working on a book. I don't know like how far in the process you were. Was it this book that you've just released, Unspoken, Toxic Masculinity, and How I Faced a Man Within the Man? Yeah. Yeah, it was this book. Probably spoke to you around the inception of the idea. And 2020 was when I really got my head down and got stuck into it. Um, but yeah, at the time we spoke, it's when uh, I was kind of questioning what it means to be a man, questioning my own masculinity and felt like there was a wider conversation to be had around that topic. Yeah. And what happened? What happened around then? then? What You said that was like around the inception of the book. What was driving that? What were your What were your thoughts? What was going into that? I think the main thing was me kind of processing uh, processing the death of my dad. He passed away in 2017. Um, so to hear that. Nah, it's cool, man. And up until that point, I think, you know, just because of the way I'd been conditioned from a young age, that, you know, the idea of being a man was someone that never cried and uh, was really strong and dominant. Uh, a few things probably played a part into that way of thinking. I guess being a first generation Brit and seeing my parents, you know, having to strive every day, work really hard to, um, you know, create a path over here in England, coming over from Ghana, that probably played a part just because they didn't really spend time equipping us um, mm. to, you know, think emotionally and be like emotionally healthy just because they were busy trying to make rent that month and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, then, um, yeah. yeah, I guess... Like working class background, council estate culture. It's very dog eat dog. The culture you don't, not really vulnerable because you don't want to be yeah. a victim. And so, yeah, I think all those things played a part in you know me being this eldest child that was meant to be strong. But when my dad passed away, um, I just couldn't do it and ended mm. up breaking down and you know crying for the first time in ages and all that kind of stuff. And mm. yeah, I guess when we spoke around 2018, it's probably about a year after I was just kind of reshaping 
what my masculinity looked like. Mm. Actually, that's like a, a real tough period to go through. And I know, I mean, I know even recently, or I say recently, I don't know, time is weird at the moment. Everything just seems like <laughs> But I know you uh, started uh, your Lost Tapes podcast as well. And that would kind of explored a bit more about what you were just saying, like going through grief, etc. Uh, do you explain a bit about that? And actually, yeah, how did you find that helped with the process for you? Yeah, so in terms of the podcast, The Lost Tapes, the reason why I started it is because, you know, when I was going through my grief process, I Google everything, innit? I'm one of these guys that, like, yeah, I just need an answer straight away. I'll tap it into mm. Google. But with grief, it was like there wasn't, like, this 10-point plan or this one thing that worked for everyone. Like, we're all mm. different and we all deal with it in different ways. And so with The Lost Tapes, I wanted to speak to different people around their idea of, you know, losing someone or something they love um how they dealt with it how they processed that tools that were helpful to them because um if i speak to enough people hopefully we'll cover like a lot of ground but if it's just me saying this is how i dealt with it that might not be the way that's helpful for you and so i just wanted to yeah, I just wanted to have conversations with, with loads of people and pick up loads of different things that, that might be helpful. That's really interesting. And I think, like you said, I mean, grief is a is a difficult one because there is no, like, one set way of getting through it. But I do also feel like there's kind of... It's not really spoken about enough in society generally. And it's interesting because we, um, we had Gareth from Ren Collective on the podcast recently, and he was talking about how getting to his, like, early 20s get into this kind of period in life where I guess just bad things were starting to happen in terms of just like oh wow like loss or you know these situation that situation and kind of feeling like church life hadn't really prepared him for the difficulties of life it was always it was almost just kind of like this bubble and then once once difficult situations arise it was like oh, what, like, what am I supposed to do now <laughs> was that something that you had felt yourself yeah definitely man um a few different things made me feel like that I guess Number one was, I guess, like culturally, I don't believe this, but I think my parents feel like, you know, when you become a Christian or you have God on your side, like everything has to be okay. Mm. So even when you go through difficult situations, they'll subconsciously suppress it because they don't want a difficult situation to represent a lack of belief in God. Um, And I think that in church in general and, you know, church culture, we just don't keep tissues out for long enough it's almost like okay you're upset let's pray and then it'll be better but if i'm not feeling better i'm not ready to move forward yet i think god can still be god in my you know pain and yeah my anxiety and depression and that kind of stuff i guess the the game changer for me was reading a psalm it was psalm 13 and it was david like just letting loose he was like oh god why have you forsaken me why have you left me why are my enemies triumphing and all that kind of stuff there's not really room for those kind of prayers like yeah. i don't know like in my in my experience anyway i don't want to speak for everyone but yeah we don't have room for like lament and, and honesty and yeah. yeah so i definitely agree with like what gareth was saying i think it's hard to find the balance because i guess the other side is you know we are more than conquerors and there are better days ahead so we want to be positive but I think the danger in forcing people to to walk on that journey like too quickly is that they suppress feelings and don't really like deal with them yeah yeah 
No, definitely. It's, it's funny. It's like, if, just imagine if, like, when Jesus was on the cross saying, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Someone just went up to him yeah. and was like, you, you should believe in God, you know? It's yeah. like, well, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, man. And that is something, like you said, you know, it exists kind of in church culture, but then outside of that as well, just the way the world is and the way we're taught to act as men as well. Um, it's particularly, like you said, if you're like coming from a working class background, that can pose difficulties in understanding how to process emotions and stuff like that as well. How did that kind of mm. play out in your own experience? I guess, you know, I think back to on my estate, I was about 14, 15 when one of my friends was murdered. And I speak about it now with my friends. But at the time, we didn't feel like we could like be vulnerable around each other. So we were like, yeah. oh, mad, like the shock factor, that's sad and that kind of stuff. But none of us like cried in front of each other. We didn't want to display weakness in front of each other. Mm. But it's funny speaking about it now with my friends. We're like, oh, when it happened, all of us went home that night and cried or, you know, like mm. were struggling to sleep and, you know, like really, really hurt us. But we put on a brave face the next mm. day. So I just think like in society, um, yeah, guys just maybe feel the pressure to always have to be like okay or seem strong. Mm. My dad, I think, was the same. You know, I never really heard him say that he had a bad day, but he probably had like quite a few, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, he just didn't really communicate that. And I think mm. it plays into, it's funny the stereotypes because I feel like when, you know, a man is defined as strong and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. it's seen as like a really positive thing. But sometimes when women are this, that defines the same thing, it's seen as a negative. Yeah. So it's just funny how we have these different, you know, um, expectations and stereotypes and dependent on, on gender. But yeah, for me, my background definitely played a part. But I don't think the masculinity thing is unique to, you know, race or working class or a class or a background or whatever. Yeah. I think we all, a lot of us can struggle with it, but it has different root causes. 100%. And, I guess you you talked a bit about in the book about heading down kind of this path of depression um, and feeling like you were kind of spiraling down that. Do you think that was because you weren't able to really embrace your emotions and to process your grief? Yeah, I think for me, it was because I internalised, you know, a lot of things and I didn't share what I was feeling and I wasn't vulnerable with the people around me. Mm. Um and I recognized that when I started counseling, you know, when I started to externalize a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. um, I felt better, felt like a release. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's probably when it hit me, when I would leave counseling sessions and feel like, oh man, like I feel lighter. I don't feel as heavy and it yeah. doesn't mean everything's okay, but it just feels like this is a healthy way to deal with things, you know? Yeah. It's funny, like even, I, get, I think even like 10 years ago, like a, a guy just saying, you know, I was in a counseling session, you wouldn't really hear that. People wouldn't really yeah. be that forthright with stuff like that. And so it's good just to see like people like yourself kind of being more open about that. And I, you even say in your book about how vulnerability actually is a strength. Can you speak a bit more about that? Yeah, I think you have to... I think the sign of strength is when you do something that scares you. Mm. You know, to be like a this kind of picture of a macho man and you know all this bravado and stuff like that. It's not really like a scary thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like we take mm. pride in it. Like, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with like strength and a bit of bravado and macho-ness and that kind of stuff. Mm. I'm just talking about when your mind and your body is telling you otherwise that you need to be vulnerable and open, yeah. that kind of stuff. 
So like if we're speaking for myself, if I was in a group setting and I'm really struggling, everyone else is happy. For me to say I'm vulnerable and for me to say I'm struggling, that's like a really scary thing to do. And so to pluck up the courage to be able to do that, I think is really strong. Like, do you know what I mean? I don't have to work hard to like go gym or like, because it's like everyone loves it. It's just, yeah, it, yeah. it plays into the narrative of what being a man, but to, you know, really say, guys, man, um, I'm actually like really depressed today, man. Like that's scary, yeah. bro. 100%. And that's why I think it's a strength. That's why I think it's a strength to to be vulnerable. Definitely. And like you touched on earlier, like these ideas of like toxic masculinity, they're not defined by like race, color, religion, or mm. economic background or anything. They exist all across the board. How can we, particularly as Christians in the church, actually? build a solution to that how can we start to actually say you know what we don't want to be follow this guide of like we have to have this this pride and we have to have our walls up all the time how can we teach young men particularly to like divert from that yeah i think it's about creating space um for honest conversation a space where you don't have to have it all worked out but we can be honest open vulnerable with each other and work through this together i think sometimes people get scared especially christians when we don't have all the answers you know like you just asked me a question and i was like yeah sir bro i don't know like but i feel like sometimes Mm -hmm. as you know christians we feel like i don't know maybe if we don't know the answer it shows a lack of faith or i don't know but Mm. just saying like let's just do life together man let's work it out together like i ain't got the answers you ain't got the answers but let's let's discover it man um mm-hmm. so that's important and the great thing about that is it builds relationship and if you build relationship you build trust and if you build trust you have deeper connections which is really cool and another thing i think is looking out for you know the marginalized in society the people mm-hmm. that people underestimate how hard for example like poorer communities have to work to equip themselves with the tools to look after their mental health or deal mm. with grief properly or like assess their masculinity. Yeah. Like I have an element of privilege in the sense that like my friend could text me a counsellor's website, I can go on it. It's I think like forty pound a session and I can just book it. Mm. But like coming from where I come from, like you can't always do that. Sometimes you have to, you know, work really hard. You have to go on a website, NHS, your local authority, be on a waiting list for like four or five months, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, in that period, like who's looking after you? And I think there's there's a huge gap for, you know, Christians to step in um where the local authorities could be inundated or people from poorer communities or more marginalized people in society might really struggle to, you know, equip themselves so i think that's a a big thing and also just using our faith to give people perspective that Mm. like things can get better we do have a purpose and we are here here to help each other because there's a lot of things that divide us at the moment like just as a as a society whether it's you know race or politics or, or religion or whatever it is um but i think like we can unite each other in in hope yeah the fact that you know God's got a plan for us and we can work together to see that come to fruition. 100%. That really reminds me of a conversation we had on the podcast with a guy called Ivan Monzon. I hope I said that right. Um, (laughs) But he's from Guatemala and he talks a bit about actually, what you just touched on with actually how mental health is such a 
key issue, especially for young people growing up um, and how actually it can be such a driver for conflict that comes. Because actually, if you have people that don't understand how to deal with their emotions, it can go into depression. That can also go Mm -hmm. into conflict. That can go into behavior that can kind of affect other people. So in that sense, I guess, you know, in your mind, how can we address mental health like you said, like we love the NHS, but like you said, waiting lines and stuff for that can be quite long. How do you think we as a society can improve and address mental health to stop these kind of issues from happening in the first place? One really practical thing that I've kind of realised during a pandemic actually is asking our friends and our circles like better questions. Because mm. like, they're not you guys are like, but for me... And and my mates, like, most of the time we're just like, ah, oh, how are you? And then the answer is just, I'm fine. Like, you can't yeah. really go nowhere with that unless you're really good at communicating. Mm. So I've started saying things like, yo, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you feeling today? Mm. And then you have to think, okay, I'm a 5. Oh, why are you a 5? Because this is going well, this is not going not so well. Yeah. And obviously, it's a big question what you ask because... Essentially, it's the whole village thing of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, an environment where, you know, we can all thrive mentally, emotionally, spiritually, Mm -hmm. physically, all that kind of stuff. Until everyone's playing their role, you know, government, next door neighbor, shopkeeper, um, education system, we have to lead by example and be part Mm -hmm. of the change we want to see. And all I can do is put out my content and try and help people but also Mm. with how I connect with people, just ask better questions, man. Like really look out for people. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a big way, man. That's a really good point. Cause I think um, it's really easy to, I I have a tendency to kind of look up, which I think is fine, but to look up at like the powers that be and the forays and be like, you're not doing your job. But then it's also Mm. like, am I doing my job? Like if I can't do it on a basic friend to friend level, how can I expect someone to do it for a whole society? Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, when people talk about culture and society, essentially we're looking in a mirror because we are society, we are culture. And so you're absolutely right. There's obviously structurally some things that you can only do with, you know, people that have significant power in society. Mm. Um, Like when you talk about looking upwards. So that's like obviously a huge part of it. But yeah, I guess another huge part is like us doing everything that we can you know yeah and I love that I love that saying that um it takes a village to raise a child I remember you you said that in an interview I won't say what (laughs) what news channel (laughs) but iconically uh you got a response of we're not in a village in Ghana right now which uh, I don't know how you didn't like just walk out there and then but um... it's hard man it was live tv live tv I was stressing (laughs) but I feel like that saying has become even more relevant during a pandemic what has the last year and a bit uh, kind of taught you about, yeah, I guess how we have to look out for each other as a community? Yeah, I guess the main thing, well, two things is number one, there's a lot of things in life that are free that we may be undervalued when we have everything on offer, you know, like family, mm. friends, um, just communicate and that kind of stuff. So that's become super important, getting back mm. to basics, building relationships um and I guess the second thing was that I'm I'm lazy I think technology's made me lazy I think Mm. you know the ease of 
having everything at our, our fingertips, being able to order anything we want, all that kind of stuff. Like mm. it's made me super lazy. And so in a pandemic, I think the first couple of lockdowns, I was just, I give church as an example. Oh, I can't wait to get back to church so we can, you know, like start connecting with people. And like mm. the only reason why we're not is because like we can't meet and all that kind of stuff. When essentially mm. nice, because it's because I'm lazy. Because I'm not picking up the phone and yeah. calling people. It's because I'm not like reading my Bible daily. Like church is good, and I like the idea of it for various reasons. But one of the reasons is because it does a lot of the work for me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that's the big thing it's taught me. Um, that like you need to adapt man and, and get to work because yeah it's not like it was before um, yeah. I guess first couple of lockdowns I was maybe waiting for things to get back to normal but I think now I'm like probably won't be for a while and even when it does come back it's probably going to look a lot different so mm. do you want to be the guy that's just like you know them old guys just like oh living in the past oh back in my <laughs> day and all that kind of stuff nah man let's like let's adapt it's an exciting time you know Definitely, definitely. I mean, and speaking of normal, like I, I guess it's been a whole like movement around the idea of creating a new normal, uh, where you know justice is at the forefront of things. And last year was a huge year for that in terms of yeah, the pandemic, food poverty for young people, Black Lives Matter marches. I guess what question is to you: What is your hope? What is one of your hopes? I don't, you don't need to give a whole like manifesto, <laughs> but what one of your hopes for creating a new normal going forward. I think that we pay attention and we let that inspire us to make change in a way that we haven't before with an urgency that we haven't had before. I think mm. among all the, you know, devastating stuff that the pandemic has brought, one thing that I'm grateful for is that the world has stopped. Like it stopped mm. the whole world. And when the world stops, people pay attention. And when people are paying attention, there's an opportunity for change. Like I truly believe that, you know, the reaction to George Floyd, um, a lot of the climate stuff that's been happening, I don't think it would have got the same attention if we weren't in a pandemic and we were just mm. going about our normal lives. I think the fact that, you know, we were stuck, we had no choice but to pay attention. And mm. so I think my hope is that we don't forget, you know, the the things that, that got ignited during the pandemic and we allow that fire to keep burning, man. Yeah, definitely. And I hope, I see, well, I see your book as, you know, helping to do that, helping to achieve that, reminding people of, you know, the vulnerability that I guess we've all had to be on a journey with in the last year and actually walking that out in different contexts of your life. What's next for you, Governor V? Like you said, March was the last show you had. Are you looking to do some more as the world starts to unfold again? Yeah, definitely. I've actually got a tour that's been postponed like three times now. So <laughs> hopefully um, we get out on that soon. Um, and yeah, I'm probably going to start recording some new music. The book's taken a lot of my time. So I watched a documentary the other day. If you like docs, you should... Um, I was just thinking whether it's okay to recommend it on this podcast. But I think <laughs> it's calm. But it's called um, Searching for the Sugar Man. And I've heard um, a lot about that. Oh yeah, sick man. It's about this artist called Rodriguez. Um, I won't give it away, but I watched it and it inspired me to make some music. So yeah, I'm probably going to make some music soon. Nice, nice. So um, if anyone wants to grab a hold of the book or find you online, where can they find you? So the book's called Unspoken, Toxic Masculinity and How I Faced the Man Within the Man. 
It's available anywhere they sell books, basically. Waterstones, Foils, Amazon. I think the pandemic's been tough for a lot of independent stores. So if you have got an independent bookshop near where you are, I'd love for you to grab it from there. Um, but yeah, enjoy it. And then you can find me everywhere online, apart from TikTok, because I'm too old for TikTok. <laughs> but um, yeah, Governor B, G-U-V-N-A-B. great hearing from Governor B there. What stood out to you guys as you listened back? I really like what he was saying about how it's actually such a sign of strength to do something that scares you and that vulnerability is really powerful um, because I think we've seen it even this past week with the interview with Meghan and Harry and it was spoken about there how it's actually it takes a lot for somebody to admit that they're going through something tough it takes a lot for somebody to vocalize that and um, because so much of what we think and feel goes on within our heads and we can kind of cover it up quite well especially in modern culture with social media and even at the moment whilst we're in lockdown not necessarily seeing people face to face it's very easy to kind of smile and get on with it and pretend that everything's fine but actually the strength that it takes to be able to say to a friend or a loved one look I'm actually struggling right now I'm not okay that it takes a lot of strength but it is so powerful and also when people do that I think vulnerability breeds more vulnerability so I think when they see someone especially someone like Governor B who has got a platform as well when he's being vocal about his struggles and his vulnerability it makes other people feel like do you know what actually it's okay that I'm struggling too and I think just like having that camaraderie and knowing that other people are going through things as well can be a real tonic to a lot of issues that people are facing and a a lot of isolation that comes with those feelings so yeah I think definitely all for speaking about what we're going through being vulnerable and yeah taking those strong steps to do so I think for me the thing that resonated was you know no, no one person has all the answers it's important for us to speak to people with different perspectives and that's true for lots of different angles and lots of different areas but uh, too often we can either take the burden on for ourselves and just believe what we think or when we invite others to to help when we talk to others and when we open up to others you know we are opening up to people who who think the same as us and, and agree the same things as us so speaking to multiple people lots of different perspectives is uh, can only be a good thing 100 percent, and i think like kind of pegging back off what you guys both just said i think it's easy to kind of like even treat god in that same way of like oh you know what i don't feel like i can fully be open with you or you know i have to be i have to believe this certain perspective in order to like to be able to talk to god but actually i really liked what uh, governor b said about how god can be god in our pain in our anxiety and in our depression as well we don't have to like put on a show we don't have to kind of just be like well i'm only gonna do what this person at church says and just like keep jumping around and keep dancing or whatever when actually god there's so much in the bible in particularly in, like the psalms and stuff where like 
people are just crying out to God and and having that space to lament. And I think it kind of shows as well just how much of a privilege it is to address our mental health in the first place because I think there's so many people in various different places and in different marginalised communities who are struggling with mental health in different ways but don't have the same space to kind of be like you know what actually this is something that I want to be able to open up about or something I even know how to deal with at all. Hopefully as Christians we can be the ones to kind of help facilitate that as well and to stand alongside people while they're going through tough times. Great thank you Emma and Chris for joining me and thanks to those at home for listening in. We'll be back again on the 29th of March where we'll be hearing from one of our very own conflict and peace builder experts Mariam Tadros. If you like what you heard today make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at we are tear fund. 